Well, I have to say, I'm a bit disappointed because I have been preparing this whole show introduction predicated on the fact that I had to leave. I ended up going to Ted's family's house in Maine because him and his family were having this big like gathering there Saturday night. And it was only, it was like basically on the way back from Acadia. So I ended up stopping over there. And then I had to slip out in the wee hours of the morning to make sure I could finish the eight hour drive back in order to get get here on time for our like recording session. Oh, dude. Only to find out only to find out only to like receive a, a slew of incoherent rambling texts from you about flares and <laughs> and the environment and like and randomly capitalized letters like a like a ransom note made out of magazine clippings this whole time i thought it was justified because you were in zanvor enjoying the after party only to find out you're just sitting in belgium <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> sorry about that really steals my thunder there three lights four lights five laps been told to come in lap after lap after lap and what does he do he ignores them a committee meeting about it stick it on and send him out just get it through the bus stop chicane george try and straight line it get to the line and we'll see what happens paris tries to cut off hamilton oh, oh, oh. Hamilton goes straight on this is kind of appalling this is the worst start for a grand prix that i have ever seen in the whole of my life Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unqualified. We are going great lengths today, actually coming to you globally. Uh, I am in Brussels. Gerald is in beautiful Philadelphia. We are, we, are, we, are, we are forging rivers and climbing mountains to bring you the best content on F1 every single week. Gerald, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you for tolerating my diminished audio quality. How are you, buddy? I'm great, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for making the sacrifice out of your out of your vacation to record and uh, on your way to what is a, a stepping stone to Monza next week. So excited to have you live uh, live and in person there. Uh, albeit, I thought you were going to be live and in person from from Zanvoort this week, but um, you know, clearly we're we're not great at communicating to one another. Only only on the topic of F1. Hey, man! All you need to know is that I am progressively making my way from Edinburgh to Lake Como, and I can confirm that the further you go on that route, the more attractive the women get and the nicer the weather becomes. So, uh, you know, things are looking up. Well, and hopefully more attractive the cities as well. Unfortunately, I heard uh, you were there right at the tail end of the whole Edinburgh trash protest. Is that right? Or was the city cleaned up by the time you were there? No, I actually didn't know anything about that. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like the week before, that was like a 10-day 10-day protest no of like shit. the sanitation workers. Yeah, when when Dip was there, it was oh, dude. all it was yeah. it was incredibly clean. We didn't even have a clue that happened. Edinburgh is beautiful, by the way. Like it's a gorgeous city, but yeah, we had no clue that that happened. That's when he took a picture and sent it to me. He's like, "Well, still not as bad as Philadelphia." So, uh, and, and, oh, dude, and oh, true. They, they, they could quit collecting for a month, and they wouldn't even touch <laughs> the depth of the depths of trash. Yeah, after a Saturday Philly. night outside of my apartment building. About as bad Dude, as that's uh, that, that stuff has started composting in the streets of Philadelphia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I'm yeah. glad to hear you're you're spared of uh, late summer in Philadelphia and are enjoying enjoying the tastes of Europe, even as I see you now with a with a beer in your hand. So, so uh, let's just acknowledge you watched this race on an iPad while riding down the highway. I watched it on an iPad 
30 minutes delayed after sprinting through the Brussels airport from a hotel room. So we're scrapping and clawing this week. We're fighting for survival. Just want to recognize that. You Can you comment on the safety or lack of safety that you exercised watching said race and how many times you crossed the double line? Double line. I can neither confirm nor deny how much time was actually spent watching versus solely listening, but I can assure you I was fully safe at all times, zero line crossing, utter professional. You you driving undistractedly is already incredibly unsafe. <laughs> I knew that was coming. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> considering your road rage, so I'm glad Max won because I'm thinking you might have killed somebody had that not been the case. Well, I think having the 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 race to watch was a helpful distraction. So it uh, it nullified any sort of potential road rage that I would have would have had. All right, good, glad to hear it, man. Where do you we, busy busy weekend? Where do you want to start? Yeah, man. I mean, let's just start at the top with a bit of a a race recap. So uh, in summary, the Verstappen freight train continues to roll on towards his first, as some would call it, legitimate driver's championship, uh, commanding commanding early on in the race, starting from pole position. But at one point in the race, it looks to be a bit in doubt, and not from Ferrari of all teams, but in fact from Mercedes, uh, who went with the the unique one-stop strategy this race. And uh, really showed strong performance on the hard tires uh, following suit after Alpine showed good pace on, on the hard tires. But unfortunately, all that was undone uh, under a virtual safety car from Sonoda, um, which was the source and is the source of much conspiracy and controversy, as we'll cover, but ultimately allowed Verstappen to save 10 seconds on his pit stop and, and really position himself well for really for the rest of the race, despite um, Mercedes best hopes for a win this weekend. Uh, and then on the Ferrari side, despite qualifying two and three really seemed to lack race pace and which was further compounded by some bad luck with Leclerc's pit stop timing just prior to the virtual safety car. Um, and then a, a mixed bag of fuckery for, for signs <laughs> and, um, and Dude, the death, death taxes, and Ferrari race strategy. Failed. That's it. <laughs> the only That's guarantees it in life. The only guarantees. <laughs> and then, you know, Alpine, much to your chagrin, rising from 12th and 13th uh, at whoa, the whoa, start whoa, whoa, whoa. to finish whoa, whoa. in the points. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Alpine, not to my chagrin. Alonso, happy to see it. Ocon, mm. very much mm. so. Just yes. the team and Ocon in general. So Alonso Correct. gets a pass. Noted. Dude, th- right. they are going to, when they get ghastly, they're going to become the evil empire to me. And I cannot wait. <laughs> I can't fucking wait. Well, now that you've happily adopted some allegiance to Mercedes, I'm glad to ha- see you'll have some uh, animosity, at least towards one team on the grid. <laughs> um, and then lastly, is, is McLaren slipping further behind Alpine this weekend as they continue to be the the team with the largest disparity in driver performance. Norris starting and finishing in seventh, and Ricardo so same bad. account in seventeenth. What was he? A, sec- a second off of him in qualifying. Uh, I mean, he's out in Q three once again. So yeah, yeah. It, it, I think um, he was a second in Q one pace. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll actually cover them a bit more this weekend, especially on the heels of all the 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 Piastri news. But uh, what do we? Any more you want to kind of recap from the race, or should we get into the? The CRB's decision in on Piastri. Um, let's jump to the off race news. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, back. so this weekend, um, just on the heels of our show last week, we were still awaiting the decision from the contract recognition board, uh, and the news came out this week. We were initially suspecting that Alpine was going to be entitled to some form of compensation still, um, but it looks like 
basically Alpine gets nothing out of this deal. McLaren fully entitled to their contract with Piastri. Uh, and he's, he's on deck to, to become a McLaren driver uh, start of next year. So I guess what's your reaction to the board's decision and, and what that means going forward? Honestly, I'm pretty surprised uh, that Alpine didn't get some form of compensation just because they seemed particularly confident. Um, I can't remember the name of their president uh, of the racing division at Renault, but um, it, the question that I asked myself is like, how much did Otmar Snapnauer know or not know about what was in those contracts when he came in as a team principal? Because if he had full knowledge of basically everything they had contractually, like there's nothing you can say other than just like, that's horrible management. Like for you to sit in front of cameras after a massive PR snafu like that and tell people we're very confident in our position and we're moving forward. It's just like, well, uh, you know, obviously you shouldn't have been. So where's the break? Where is like the break of the information in Alpine leadership that is responsible for them just like being that blind? It just, it surprised me. I genuinely thought they were going to leave with cash compensation because they had something contractually the pastry was still going to be beholden to, but clearly that wasn't the case. It just seems shocking that, you know, an enterprise like that doesn't have some better protocols in terms of a working group around our legal team and our corporate communications and our driver man, like our, our driver program management lead. Like how is everybody not in the loop here in terms of the, the terms and conditions by which, the deal that they have their drivers on uh, to not know the, if there was a cutoff date or the, the strength of their deal with Piastri, the terms in which it was voided to not know those things is uh, to your point, a, a big failure at somewhere in that organization and probably across the board. I mean, you know, I guess the, 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 the French's ability to, to be good at getting run over applies to the courtroom as well. So, uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. This doesn't, it just doesn't apply to military conflict? <laughs> it applies to everything. All facets <laughs> of life. Yeah. yeah, I mean, pretty shocking. I mean, great news for McLaren. Uh, pretty much. Do you, th- I think, do, you think I should, do you think I should not talk shit about the French sitting in a public area in a French-speaking city? <laughs> it's French-speaking, but they speak a lot of languages in Brussels. So I, That's I think true. I think you're safe. I, I think, fortunately, in between... You're, you won't be in France by the time you get to the next race, so um, you'll you'll be clear of the territorial concerns by by the time we get to the next next session. Now, I think you're, I, Fair Graham, enough. I would not want you to feel constrained in any way. And besides, if they did, what are they going to do? I'm a peacock, Gerald. You got to let me fly. Yeah, don't let them intimidate you, Graham. <laughs> All right, sorry, I cut, I pulled you back. You were moving us on. No, no, you're good. I mean, and then I think. You, there was a lot of talk around timing as well. And I think it just seemed like the, the word was that they had this inked you know, early July, which was weeks and weeks before Ricardo coming out and saying he was still going to be driving for them. And by the looks of it, it was that the, at least the contract with Piastri was still communicated that he would potentially be a reserve driver even for the next year. So I guess the question on, their internal communication as well. Are they equally at fault in terms of, or is that a different scenario? And then 
again, I just revisiting as we have more information, Piastri's mindset and the decision making for him to go to McLaren to potentially be a reserve driver versus being a reserve driver on on Alpine or even in a seat at at Williams. Do you still think that was the right call for him? I guess before knowing that Ricardo was getting dropped. Look, I mean, for if he, sure. I th- I think I, I I guess what I would say is I hope he's basing his decision primarily on which organization he believes more in and the trajectory of the whole of their team, their technology, their staff, everything. And if he believes that about McLaren, then I say good on him for calling his shots. I mean, you can call it a little bit cocky, but if one thing is true about the sport, it's that there's not many seats and a lot of guys don't get more than one chance if they get a chance at all. So if he has the leverage and the advice from people like Mark Webber to be able to maneuver his way on these things, I, I'm never going to fault a guy. It's not like he... You know, it's not like he's come out and, you know, started a smear campaign against Upmar. Like, he, you know, they're handling it, I would say, as professionally as they can, seems to me. So, anyway, I can't. Well, I think him. you just saw a better prospect with, with Ricardo in the seat and how he was performing as well, right? And it seemed like it was, they had far more clarity of, Ricardo has one more year at most, and then you're in the seat. Whereas they were still dragging their feet on providing some clarity with respect to what they were going to do with Alonzo or not. And I think... And I think you just see that across the board with how McLaren operates in all of their categories, right? Like you see them making bold moves and stealing drivers away, even in IndyCar. And it just seems like they are much more decisive. They have a more expansive program. And, and unsurprisingly, that probably gives a driver more confidence in the, the enterprise as a whole, albeit you know whether or not the car itself has better performance on any given weekend because at this point you know alpine does look a bit i'll still say alpine does look a bit better on track than mclaren but at least from a corporate management perspective they seem to have their shit together a little bit a little bit better agreed agreed so with that being said that then opens a a seat with no compensation in hand for alpine to go out and get a driver (laughs) It, it seems more and more like gasly is the man for that seat, although they're going to be paying for him out of pocket now. Um, that being said, given Gasly's performance this year, uh, I, I would hope he's coming at a, at a deep discount relative to what they would have paid for him last year. But well, Also, um, what they were already paying Alonzo. I mean, Alonzo probably had a pretty pretty big contract. So True, true. So they're arguably still coming out ahead, albeit not as, as much as we maybe thought initially. Um, so... Assuming that is true, Gasly gets released to Alpine. That then opens up the seat at AlphaTauri. We talked about this a little bit. A lot more news around Colton Herta being the person for that seat, but a number of other names has been have been floated as well, from F2 being Lawson and Sargent. You have Palau and Award from IndyCar. Um, there's still some question marks now around Schumacher leaving the Ferrari development program. Um, but what's your take given your ear to the street and IndyCar and the interest in an American driver? What do you think is the, the right move for AlphaTauri at, at this point? Um, well, I mean, there's no question that Red Bull should release Gasly in my mind. I think, you know, between him and Albon, which guy do you have higher hopes of eventually getting back up to the Front team, I think if you can feel good about Albon, if, it'd be one thing if Albon was having a terrible year, but he, he's having a decent year for what he has. So I think they can feel good about that. I think they can honestly be a little bit relieved that they've got a driver that's been stuck who they can kind of funnel out and then bring somebody else into that seat. And then for me, it just becomes, what does Red Bull care more about? If they want uh, to capitalize on 
the brand value of being the first team to really bring a U.S. driver, young, talented U.S. driver into the fold, then they go for Colton Herta. But we also have to face the reality that, you know, and it seems like that's what they're doing, right? And so they they're 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 trying to basically get this exception to the super license process that would just grant Colton Herta a super license. I suppose because he's not in a, a lower formula that's a typical feeder to F one, and he hasn't done enough practice sessions and testing sessions with McLaren. He doesn't have a super license. I don't know exactly how the point. You may know more about the points work than I do, but it seems like that's the route they want to go. Cause they're actually, I think, and it's coming out maybe next week. They're trying to see if they can get an exception from the FIA for, for that super license. And if it sounds like if they do, they're going to move forward with him. Um, but I also can't separate that from the fact that, I mean, he's not having the best year in IndyCar. Like he's not even in the top five, right? Like if you look at even just the IndyCar field, there are more qualified drivers on pure performance this year, including Pata Award, who you already mentioned. Um, so I'm a little conflicted about it. Obviously, I'm super excited. I would love to see Colton Hura race for Red Bull. Um, one question I actually have for you, sorry, before your broader response to that is, do you think that Red Bull has data on how Herta performed at his McLaren test? Do you think they have a way to access that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I would think so because Marco came out saying he thought the performance was very impressive and it was broadly reported that he he raised eyebrows. So, I mean, I don't know the depth of telemetry data and all that 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 gets publicly provided, but I, they were aware of his performance in that testing, and so that seems to be the biggest driver, right? Any kind of testing sessions in in the McLaren cars is what a lot of people are going on. It seems more so than performance in IndyCar or other series, right? Like Colton has a lot of sense. Yeah. Which I don't, to some extent it does and some extent it doesn't, right? Like you would still expect that you'd want to see relative performance in whatever series you're in. Right. That's why, or or consistency. And that's why Piastri and Russell are so highly acclaimed right? Because they rose and won in each consecutively. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was third two years ago, fifth last year in IndyCar, you know, a handful of wins. But if you read his bio, a lot of it is like firsts to do things, the youngest, right? Youngest in this series to pull, to win something. And I think that's a draw for them is, you know, he's, at, he's the youngest on the list of names that we mentioned. He's only 22. Award is only 23 as well. So, and he's doing better. So, I mean, that's why I'm surprised he's not getting more play. Um, whereas like Palau's older, um, you know, I think he's like 25. So, I mean, he's not ancient, right? Le- but he's... Liam Lawson's a little older. Yep. So I think they're definitely going for youth and a, a bias towards pure American driver. And I just think the Andretti relationship has put Herta in a place where he's gotten more exposure to the Formula One teams. Like he's leaned harder into doing the testings, getting practice sessions, the session in Portimao, whereas it just doesn't seem like award has done as much leading to Formula One versus being within the the McLaren sort of ecosystem, but much more like IndyCar focused. Well, it's a good point you make. That is very typical of the Red Bull driver development program is to go after real young guys. They've got a tradition of that. Um and if the alternative is go after a high brand value, market value driver and American driver like Herta, who who potentially has a lot of raw talent that you could unlock 
versus getting somebody who's got like an average F2 pedigree. I like, I mean, I, obviously we're biased as Americans, but like I, I, I can see why Herta would be the more obvious choice. But let me just put the rational side of my brain aside for this. How fucking exciting as a Red Bull fan would it be for them to have the kind of token American driver in their development program and on the grid? Gone. Like, that would make me love my team so much more. Well, I think they are really taking the approach, the tact that we've been saying McLaren should around being that trailblazing team and, and emphasizing that brand value, which if you think about who Red Bull is, that's all they are. They are just a giant marketing, marketing organization. Company. And so, and when you look at team popularity, I mean, look at us being from the States, Red Bull had, at the time being the underdog, sort of the bold, brash personalities. I think you, you see a lot of, of sort of alignment there with the Red Bull team and the US market. And so I, I think it makes even more sense for them to go that direction, maybe than others. Um, and, and yeah, I think McLaren, they, they had this play in hand to go after just two amazing young drivers that they're highly confident in versus the US brand play. So it, it's not actually, it actually makes more sense in retrospect that, that Red Bull would be the one to, to step out on that ledge. But, but again, I, I'm a little skeptical of his overall performance today. I don't think he's blown the doors off anything, but he has been relatively consistent. He's out of the top five right now, but he's top five-ish in the last three years, right? So yeah, that, that and he's had a lot of DNS this year. Yep, and, he, and when you see him on track, he looks really clean. You know, he looks really measured. So, um, yeah, I, I we'll see. Time will tell. But I, I, I'll admit, I'm a little bit surprised that um, Albon isn't more of the leading pick. And then Herta somehow gets a seed or gets truly aligned to reserve driver status to have him jump right into AlphaTauri is a bit surprising. Um, I don't actually think that that's a good, that would be good for Albon. Why would he want to go back to AlphaTauri? I, I would think he would want to work for more of an independent team. And then basically what it's going to come down to is Red Bull's going to decide if Williams progresses moderately up the grid, the decision will be between Herta and Albon when Perez's contract comes up. And, and guess, it'll just depend. I guess if yeah. I was Albon, I'd rather be in the AlphaTauri seat at that time, maybe than the. Williams, oh man, I disagree. Williams not, seat, not 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 not, Why after not? this year. Well, um, if, Williams operates with more autonomy and independence. They've got more money than AlphaTauri, um, and he's their very clear lead driver. And you're not really like a little brother to anybody uh, in particular. And, I mean, Williams showed their teeth when they picked Albon as their driver over Nick DeFries, right, in the last driver-free agency. So, you know, I think that developmentally he's got more to learn in that seat rather than being on a kind of subverted sister team. And, and also Williams is improving. They're improving. And who knows where they'll be next year. They, 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 may, they may be racing against McLaren. Well, and then I think it goes to, as you said, whether or not they can get the exemption for Herta on the, the super license. And I'm by no means an expert in it, right? But it ultimately comes down no to experience in, in practice sessions, actually doing a race. You can get points depending on how high up the order you finish in IndyCar. For example, I think if he finished top three this year, he would have had enough points. And so the yeah. fact that he's underperforming this year means they need to get an exemption. But Zach Brown is behind it. Obviously, Red Bull's behind it. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not the FIA makes the move to 
relax some of the standards or, or put IndyCar in a greater sense of parity to, to encourage these types of moves or whether they don't. But given the nature of the, their moves, I'd be shocked if they didn't open the door here. This is a key first step. My understanding is I don't think what's required is them rewriting the standards. I think they just have to make an exception for this guy. And it seems like a pretty, based on what I've read, it doesn't seem like it is that unheard of that they would just decide to king make a specific situation. I think it can be a very political process. And people will whine and moan and all the European racing purists will say up and down how many more better qualified drivers there were. But at the end of the day, you know, F1 really is a brand-driven sport. I mean, that's the whole way that OEMs rationalize even participating in F1 and building racing engines is because of the brand marketing value. Like, it's a brand-driven sport, and everyone is aligned and behind the idea at Liberty Media, who's an American company, of growing the the fan base in the U.S., and this is a clear, clear chess piece to move to do that. So I, I, I... I'm sure that whatever calls and back channeling that need to be done to get this done are getting are happening. So, yep. yeah. Well, and, and it is interesting though, if that doesn't play out, I still think Schumacher is a good, a good pick for, for the team as well to consider, especially if he's dropping out of the sure. Ferrari development program and FP one, yeah. the team covered. I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, Marco didn't seem very enthusiastic about that, but I don't disagree with you conceptually. Marco seems to flip flop on all sorts of things though, because at first he was like, oh, well, we don't, we like to stick with the drivers in our program and in our ecosystem that we know better. And now it's Colton Herta is like the lead candidate for the seat. So That's I, true. I don't know, yeah. who to, you That's know fair. which Marco to That's believe fair. at any given time. But I think the broader commentary on Schumacher was interesting given, you know, leaving that program, no clear path to Ferrari. Is he positioning himself to take advantage of a, of an Audi owned German team um, and sort of be their, their brand ambassador? But then it really brings into question, especially on the heels um, uh, around um, just the overall value of the team development programs, right? Because there was an interesting article last week about Drogovic leading F2, getting basically no publicity or interest from F1 teams, largely because he's independent and hasn't been part of any team development ecosystem. But then you now you look across the board, well... Schumacher's leaving the Ferrari development program without ever having ever sat in that seat. Piastri's no longer with the Alpine development program. Herta, who's a part of McLaren, probably going to uh, to Red Bull. So, how much of that does it really matter at the end of the day? And, and so, it's like there's been so much emphasis put on these driver programs, and yet so much fluidity across them. So, it's it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, well, it's. One of those, again, that's one of those many things you add to the list of, man, I would really understand this better if I knew what these contracts look like. So I have no clue, man, no clue. But I would imagine the fluidity of the talent pipeline and how guys get into certain seats only increases as the sport becomes more global, I'd have yep. to imagine. Yeah, so. cross-formula. cross, cross formula. Anyway. Well, and uh, I mean, I know you're a guy that likes a good NDA, but uh, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're getting on the inside of those ones. Nope. Um, all right. Well, I think that pretty much covers it on, on all the background for the week, the CRB news, uh, shifting driver oh, dynamics. By, by the way, I just yeah. want to say, you mean, you, you mean the NDA comment in more of a professional context, not like a hush money kind of personal infidelity context. I just want to make, make sure that people understand that. 
I I am providing no qualifications to my statement. Take that as you will. Okay. All right, moving on. <laughs> um, all right, what do you say we get into some team some team recaps I'll, and, and deep like dive it. of the weekend? Which who who do you want to start with? I mean, we got to start at the top of the grid. Red Bull. Um, this weekend finishing first and fifth. Uh, now a hundred and I believe it's one hundred and thirty five points up on Ferrari. Widened the gap by seventeen this weekend. And Verstappen in the drivers' championship, 109 points clear of Leclerc and Perez. So, any change to your stance uh, last weekend that both of these are are pretty much wrapped up at this point in the year? No, these are fully baked, man. I think my only additional commentary is I'm a little disappointed in Perez. Um, I think that he's getting gapped by Max pretty pretty bad. Uh, you know, he had a mistake in qualifying. It wasn't a great weekend for him overall. Um, he didn't have a bad race, um, but I, I, he's getting, he, he's getting a little bit of an excuse because the overall performance of the car is much stronger than last year. But I don't know that really relative to Max right now, Using Zandvoort as an example, he's really doing anything much better than what Gasly and Albon did. He, he's been more consistent, right? He hasn't had really mistakes this year that have just, like, completely taken him out of, like, point scoring. And at the end of the day, like, fifth is not bad. But he is not in Max's zip code, dude, um, which wasn't true at the beginning of the year. So what do you think is going on with that? I mean, in, in Spa, he did fine, right? So, I mean, yes, he was – yeah, but he still wasn't yeah. in Max's zip code. No, he was not in the zip code, but he, far out in front. he's getting second, though, right? And so, in this case, this was the first week. And again, so this is the first week I really feel that way. So, like, let's not lean into that as too much, especially because we knew this or thought this track was not going to um, suit the Red Bull. And I have to imagine Max spent about 72 hours straight in a simulator to give him the best chance to win uh, in Zandvoort out of anybody. So you know, probably some extra preparation on his part, but yeah, this was the weekend where I started to question, you know, is, is Perez doing, doing enough? Um, now to your point, when you compare it to Albon and Gasly, he's not getting DNFs. He's not getting lapped. So, um, you know, he's at least better from that standpoint, but which matters a lot, which does matter a lot. He's still contributing decent points. He's still finishing in front of a Ferrari. So he's, He's adding value to the team in that way, um, but it's the the gaps are pretty wide throughout practice into qualifying and then through the race as well. In terms of why, I mean, Max is just on another level right now. I, there is like some questions around parts and upgrades, right? Max getting the some upgraded parts after the summer break unclear how much of a difference that's making, how much between the floor and plank and designs are changing. Um, and then in this race in particular, the word was after, um, after his spin, like he was getting new parts in the car as well. Or, um, what was it? Yeah. Like he was potentially getting new, some new parts in his car as well, or like older parts. So, um, it's a question of just is, is Perez lagging just on like the development calendar with like the cost cap. So, um, yeah. could we'll be, see. but it was interesting in qualifying him. Um, 
spinning that final lap and Marco saying, well, I'm glad to at least see he's being aggressive. And, and I would agree with that. It's good to see him pushing it. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting how him losing those tires, cause he didn't go to softs at the end of the race. He was on a set of mediums. And I was just, I guess my assumption was that he didn't have a set of softs available to him because he ruined maybe what was going to be his race set of softs in that last spin in qualifying. So just interesting knock on effects. Dude, how mad was Team LH when Perez spun? And he was basically finished with Sector 2 and essentially on Max's pace. My brother my brother had – it probably took him three, four hours to cope with that emotionally. He was, <laughs> he was furious. There were some borderline racially prejudiced things coming out of his mouth about Perez. I, I'm just going to say it. It was – yeah, it was pretty outrageous. Well, it's uh, it seemed like a weekend uh, ripe with with conspiracy conspiracy opportunities for for Mercedes fans between the qualifying session to the race itself. It is just kind of funny because earlier in the season, Perez was one of the guys who said after I can't remember who it was if it was I was probably a Leclerc or Signs crash in Q three right or red flag in Q three that like ruined a lap, and he said, "Well, you should kind of like." be punished for that. Um, it, it sucks to have your qualifying lap. And now he's done it twice. I think it was in Monaco and now here as well. He sort of ended qualifying sessions early, but yeah, you had people jumping into like telemetry data, like data scientists combing the, combing the data for whether or not Hamilton was, was going to qualify even higher. And I think, you know, um, Sam Collins was pretty clear. Like he probably wasn't going to end up much higher than he was anyway. So, but how do we know that? So I, he was, he was up well he wasn't up but he my brother said he was up but my brother also is incredibly biased Hamilton was on Verstappen's pace after two seconds yeah yeah I believe the logic was Verstappen was going to be faster through sector three or had had been faster that's the home straight you know so the fact that they were even going into that sector meant that Verstappen was going to pull away and and still take pole so maybe maybe Mercedes jumped ahead of some of the Ferraris Given how the weekend went, that would have probably been for not anyway. So um, again, a lot of hubbaloo about probably not much at the end of the day. So yeah. Um, so with that, I think um, given the fact that those championships looked a bit buttoned up, we should move to Ferrari and Mercedes because <laughs> I think there will be much more excitement throughout the end of the year and a lot to talk about in terms of team performance and decision making. But just to hit on Ferrari first. Qualified second and third, finished third and eighth, uh, with Leclerc in third on the podium. Signs finishing eighth due to a five-second penalty, which dropped him from fourth. Uh, now Ferrari just 30 points ahead of Mercedes in the Constructor Championship. They lost 11 points this week, uh, given uh, uh, Signs finishing position. Leclerc, as I said before, tied with Perez for second in the Drivers' Championship. Uh, and signs sitting fifth in the drivers' championship, twenty six points off of Leclerc and behind Russell in four, who's in fourth. Uh, overall, Ferrari looked good early on in the weekend, but not dominant over Mercedes or McLaren throughout practice. Uh, obviously, a good showing in qualifying, um, but far closer than one would have thought, or at least I, I, I thought, given the presumable track fit with slow speed corners uh, and how they've performed thus far in the season. 
Uh, and then when it came to the race, Leclerc, he, he was close to Verstappen early on the soft tires, but he faded out quickly uh, given Max was starting on new softs. And and he got unlucky with his pit stop timing just before the virtual safety car that ultimately dropped him behind Mercedes in track position. And then on the signs side of the garage, just about everything that could go wrong went wrong. He had a a 12 second standing pit stop, followed by an unsafe release in a second pit stop, which is where he derived his five second penalty the the pit team left a wheel gun a bit wide i think it was still legal so no invest you know no punishment there then he was subsequently passing under a yellow flag by ocon while botas was pulled off at the end of the home straight to his right so i mean he was just caught in controversies up and down the grid um and ultimately an underwhelming finish in eighth place but uh what was your what was your take on on the ferrari team performance this weekend Maybe I need help better understanding how it is that the the how the pit box is defined because I do not know how there was a wheel gun left where it was left and that is still legal. Like how to me there is no way that Perez was was not going to run over it. Like I think it was inevitable. I don't think he drove on a different line than he normally would have. The thing was like three feet behind the guy. In any case, like. It's just an absolute embarrassment. There's nothing new under the sun here. I think that they are who they've been the entire season. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's just you have to laugh at this point or, or you'd cry. Well, and, and so to your wheel gun question, I believe, as at least they said in the broadcast, the the legal pit box is defined by, I believe there's typically a, like, double white line and with green filling line that separates the, the sort of uh, driving surface from the pit section and it was on their side of that green line that seems awfully wide and i haven't seen many things ever that wide Uh, but then i also do think at least from as the drivers were talking about it it seems like the zanvort pit lane is a bit tighter than others and so yeah that's true they can't swing as wide on the uh return yeah so he, he probably needed to turn out even more quickly than normal so the fact that he took the the uh typical angle alongside having a gun sitting out a little bit wider. I was honestly just shocked that that didn't result in any kind of tire damage um, and faster degradation or, or even a, a puncture. So I, I think Perez was, was fortunate in that one. And look, I, I mean, they, a lot of stuff was just on signs this weekend in terms of weird timing things. You know, maybe you say the, the unsafe relief was unsafe release was on the team as well, but at the end of the day, they were just, overly reactive too late to I believe Perez trying to to do an undercut on on signs and the team just wasn't wasn't ready so whether or not they were anticipating that effectively or not or whether they should have just waited to the next lap and you know gone with it it's uh it's unfortunate but or just have been faster getting getting the team prepped uh, I mean they they clearly did or is all of the above it's all the things that we've said about Ferrari all along, just again, and it's poor, poor decision-making ability, not having good decentralized control over races to be able to react to things quickly, overthinking things. Um, it, it, yeah, it's just a catastrophe. I, to me, man, like, I just don't know how they keep it. Mercedes is 30 points off of them now, the constructors. I think at this point, I'm pretty confident Mercedes is going to beat them. I just, I don't know how you keep an auto around, but I, Anyway, yeah, and unfortunately, um, 
one, Leclerc just continues to be struck by by some bad luck slash um, ill team performance. But I mean, his pit taking him out of a, a better contention for, I mean, at best probably second place. But um, but yeah, I mean, and more worrying, even as Bonato has said, beyond a pit stop is just overall car lack of performance. This was supposed to suit them well, and they never really had a shot at Red Bull come race day and were were on pace with Mercedes. So their 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 gap has has definitely diminished and and they're in the hot seat now. So they're going to have a battle going to the end of the season. Um w- with that, let's talk about Mercedes who they finished second and fourth. Arguably they could have finished even better, but now as I said, just 30 points shy of Ferrari, closed the gap by 11 this weekend. Um ultimately, you know, I, I believe that the team should have finished second and third, which was it would have been a six-point swing uh, in the constructor standings with Hamilton finishing ahead of Leclerc. So, I mean, that would have dropped you down to 24 points. Uh, so I think they left some on the table in pursuit of a win. Uh, but now Russell sits fourth, uh, just 13 points behind Perez and Leclerc in the driver's standing while Hamilton uh, lags further behind in sixth place, 43 points back off of uh, Perez and Leclerc. Um, so in the race, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So uh, Russell finishing second, but was largely behind Hamilton for most of the race until the the last pit stop in which Russell went in for softs along with basically all of the other leading drivers. Um, leaving Verstappen to sit right behind Hamilton, who stayed out on mediums, making him vulnerable. Uh, Hamilton was clearly under the impression that they were they were going for the win, going to keep both drivers out, use Russell as a buffer against Verstappen, uh, and then and then Russell calling calling for an audible, ultimately doing himself some favors, uh, potentially at the detriment of the team. Um, but what was your take overall? I mean, did you think Mercedes had a shot to win? At what point did that dissipate? And and was the the strategy call Russell's decision uh, ultimately the right one? Oh uh, well, I think that the Russell call was clearly the right one for him, and I am never going to fault a driver for calling his own number from the car and being right and being bold and going for it. I think if there's fault to be had, it's that the team didn't necessarily apply a consistent strategy. I think there's something to be said for defending Hamilton's position, being a little bit more assertive to defend Hamilton's position, given that how he had earned that in the race and had had better pace uh, and was arguably going to out-qualify Russell so, until the all until the flag. So... I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't think. I'd be curious if you feel differently about this. I genuinely don't think. You can talk, take out all the safety car scenarios you want in, in any pit strategy scenario. Given how faultless Red Bull seems to be from a race strategy standpoint, I genuinely do not think there was a scenario where Lewis was winning that race. No matter what happened. I think even if there hadn't been a virtual safety car and Max comes out on soft tires later in the race and is forced to go through both Russell and Hamilton, who are on one-stoppers, I think he still pulls it off. So I, I, I don't really know that anything different could have happened. I think the only thing they could have done better 
is to have pitted both George and Lewis, and then they have two guys on the podium instead of one. I think that that was their best outcome, but I don't see how he could have won. I think Max's pace was just too too good. Largely agree. The, the one place that I would diverge is prior to the Sonoda virtual safety car, I think the the unexpected performance on the hard tires and therefore the superiority of the one-stop strategy did have Mercedes positioned to win that race. Yeah, I, I think that they, was their best chance. Yes, for sure. I think they could have pulled it off from there. Now, maybe not, but I was, it, it looked like they were in now granted. I, I wasn't looking at the, uh, the gap times as, as closely or the interval times as closely as I, as I would have liked, you know, given the fact that I was driving. Um, but they seem to be in a really, really strong position up to that point. But after, and I think because because they had aspirations of a win and a strategy by which they thought they could win, and then we're seeing that validated in the early portion of the race, I think they were reluctant to move off of that perspective after the the virtual safety car as well, as, and even after the other safety car. And then they just prioritized track position, which I'll be honest, during the broadcast, I actually thought that that was the right move. But in hindsight, right, like I don't think Max was going to have any trouble getting through them on that significant of a tire advantage. At the end of the day, I think they were just anchored to this idea that, well, we were in a position where we can win. And how great will it be to get a win? Everybody wants us to get a win this season. We want to win. That'll be great. And I think they they got blinded they became blind to the the longer game, which is they need to beat Ferrari. And so they they prioritize and then and then they ended up doing kind of splitting their strategy, uh, which you know you could argue isn't a bad thing because potentially if they left both out in true pursuit of a win, they could have lost position to to Leclerc as well. And so they could have finished with somebody in third and actually lost ground potentially to to Ferrari this weekend. I think it's a little bit unfair to paint their scope as I get what you're saying that they need to be focused on beating Ferrari, but dude, that's not how that team's wired. Well, yes, exactly. Eight straight constructor championships. So I don't fault them for not thinking that way is if anything, like I would be a little concerned if they were just thinking that way and we're kind of ignoring Red Bull because they absolutely can beat Red Bull. They can, I mean, they could have, and you're, you know, without the safety car, I think you're right. That was their best shot. I still think Max was going to get through, but it would have been closer than it was. So, um, yeah. As a fan of the team, I would want them to go for the win as well, but it just seems like they, similar to Red Bull, are so calculating in the fact that you're going for maximum points every weekend, not necessarily going for, I mean, yes, the win and or maximum points. And, and so I think they just left points on the table and the best strategy was, even after the virtual safety car with Sonoda, before the the Botas safety car, they should have acknowledged we are now out of position. Verstappen is probably going to beat us no matter what. How do we keep these cars ahead of Ferrari? And they should have pitted pitted both drivers for for softs. But yeah, I mean, you can't fault them for going for the win. And I would agree with you. I mean, while it is the fault of Mercedes for not enforcing a strategy of points maximization. And because and saying, no, George, your priority of finishing second in the driver's standings is second to our constructor's performance. But from his standpoint, like, absolutely, he's he's chasing a second place, which nobody would have expected at the beginning of this year. And so 
I mean, props, props to him. We said it last weekend where signs and the Claire need to be calling their own number and dictating strategy a bit more. And, and he has seemed faultless in his, his strategy calls. I mean, there was the one thing in Montreal where he was a little too bold in the rain, but again, uh, no faults, no faults there. So he, he seems to be, he's doing everything right. Yeah. And honestly, like, and I think Lewis said this, said as much, if I'm Lewis, I'm not mad at George, you know, in the moment you might've thought that was a selfish move, but I'm never, you can't fault a guy for calling his own number. If anything, I'm mad at the team just for being inconsistent. And and Lewis really did deserve more. He he was pretty pretty much faultless the, the whole weekend. Um, so I, I, I personally hated to see it. What was your um just because we, we covered this so much early in the season around around Verstappen and it gets a lot of play and, and I think it got a little bit of airtime. What was your take on just Hamilton's overall team radio starting out? you know, saying you guys basically screwed me. This was the wrong strategy afterwards in the, the post-race conferences. He was like, I, you know, sorry to the team, but also like not sorry. Um, what'd you just take of his overall like persona there? He, he look, he, he, as a guy who's won seven driver's championships, he, my view is he could have said far worse. He could be far more entitled and have come in way harder on the team. Uh, so I, I, it's, it doesn't matter to me. I would have been mad if I had been him. I think Toto came on the radio, you know, pretty deliberately after the race had closed and apologized and said, we need to talk about this in the briefing. Let's keep it behind closed doors. Um, and I think that's fair and is the right approach. So I think he could have done far worse personally. I don't, I don't fault what he fault him for what he said at all. I, I'm in the same camp and I, if for nothing else than consistency with my earlier takes on, on Verstappen, right? I, I thought it was perfectly appropriate. And look, if he said what he made two comments of being frustrated on the radio. And then, as you said, like the whole enforcing some discipline, right? Toto jumping on saying, we'll talk about this afterwards. It was interesting too, after the race, when he's frustrated on something, you see him sit in the car for a little bit. Yeah. And he just, yeah, he does do that. He just collects himself. And I think he just, that, like, it's really mature. He like focuses himself. He realizes I have to get out of the car. The race is over. Like, let's put things into context. I'm going to have to go talk to the media now. And so he just like was so good about recentering himself um, and possessing that maturity. And frankly, I love the fact that he came out and said, like, yeah, I'm kind of sorry. But at the same time, like, I'm not. Like, those are the things that need to be said. This is like serious business. He's intense. He wants to win as much as anybody. So I, frankly, I loved it. I like seeing that side of, of Hamilton as well, both from the kind of revealing some of the, the, the vulnerability, but then also just how he, how he manages frustration um, and, and sort of regains his composure. Agreed. Um, well, let's talk a little bit of controversy. So um, since we'd be remiss not to mention it and, and given my proclivities for conspiracies as well, I was I was uh, <laughs> apt to entertain it in the moment alongside the Sky Sports broadcasters. But there was uh, yeah. uh, some, some quick adoption of a belief that the whole Sonoda pulling into the pits and then coming out and then stopping on the track again was all sort of some grand strategy plan to advantage Max back into a winning position. What say you? Do you think this was uh, uh, an intentional strategy conspiracy or or is this overblown by the Mercedes fanboys? What a joke, dude. Sky <laughs> Sports has got to has got to be held accountable for this stuff. Like all you have to do is go listen to Sonoda's radio to know that them tightening the seatbelts was not the team's way of covering up something wrong they had done with the tires that the FIA could have fined him for or penalized him for. Like, are you kidding me? 
Like, it, literally, like, Sonoda's in the car and says, you need to tighten my seatbelts, like, before he comes in for the net. Like, there's just – like, I, I don't understand how that they can just make those level of – like, do, they, do, do people understand, had Red Bull done something like that, how much of their current dominant position in the constructor standings they would be putting in jeopardy by calling some shit like that and – and having another team bend it on purpose, basically, to benefit their driver who already has an 80 to a 90-point lead in the driver's championship. That is, like, so patently absurd. Like, I, oh, my God. Yeah, sorry. I, I just – and I, I'm, I'm equally angry at, as, as angry at Sky for just insinuating that Alpha Towery is up to no good because they come into the pits – they don't really know what the problem is, and they reach in to like mess with the safety harnesses. Like that—that's that, just like such a cheap. That's just like such a a freaking cheap perspective. It's a joke. Well, I I love your point that they don't need it, right? Like that seven points wasn't going to make or break their season. Like they're clearly in a dominant no. position either way. And after last season, and like the credibility questions about the legitimacy of the the championship as it was, like. It would be insane for them to invite anything of the sort. And also the idea of like, I can't remember, it was Max earlier where he thought something was wrong with a tire, right? And nobody was picking us anything on data. And so, I mean, how many times, and like Brundle should have known this as well. How many times is there something that the driver is experiencing that might not be picked up on, on data, only to have it affirmed later on and sort of that natural like feel and intuitiveness yeah. of the driver. And like, just to like even question that as some sort of like bizarre thing was, was a bit confusing in the moment. Yeah, it was, it's, it's a joke really. I, I I'm sorry that it even is getting talked about that. We have to talk about it. Um, uh, there's some team LH bleeding heart people that really wanted to be true, but I got to tell you that, that is, it's, it's, it's just, a massive, massive stretch. Look, you can talk. Sh- and look, I'm. I'm a, yeah. You can talk shit about our teams. You can talk shit about our drivers. But as soon as you go after Hannah, now you're now yeah. you're barking up the wrong tree. Don't, yeah, don't fuck with Hannah. Don't <laughs> absolute assassin. Got another flawless weekend from her. Just unbelievable. She anyway. is crushing it. She's doing so well. She's got her own haters. I mean, that's how you know. I know, you, dude. That's how you know you made it. I know. I know. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to your favorite team, Alpine. Um, <laughs> Look, nobody was expecting this to be a great weekend for Alpine. It didn't look like it would be particularly in qualifying as they were both out in Q2 in 12th and 13th. But um, both drivers, Alonso in particular, climbing up the grid, Alonso plus seven in track position, finishing sixth with Ocon in ninth. Um, Alonso a bit aided by the the signs penalty, uh, whereas Ocon fell just two tenths of a second shy of of getting to jump signs as well. Um but really only split in their position by by Norris, I believe, who, who finished P7. Um, and with Ricardo finishing at the back of the grid once again, they're now 24 points clear on McLaren, picking up plus four this weekend in this race. Um, looks like all is going according to plan over there. Um, any thoughts on on team performance from, uh, from your favorite Alpine? Uh, I... I love that Fernando Alonso is the relatively better driver and is giving them the middle finger at the end of the year. Um, no, nothing new for me on this team. I agree. I was 
I, I'm, I was surprised. I, I, I thought that McLaren was going to be in Alpine's position at the end of this race. Yep. Relatively speaking. Uh, and they flipped the scripts for sure. So, um, yeah, strong year from them. Um, they've clearly got something on the car, right? I still don't know if I bet on them organizationally, just given the level of incompetence related to driver contracting. But I know the engineers are <laughs> not responsible for all of that. And so maybe they've got some good folks over there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems their engineering and their race strategy uh, team is doing quite well. So they are at least are. from track performance, they, they got it together. And then, yeah, similarly at McLaren, I mean, they looked good through practice and then just come qualifying half, half and race. McLaren. Well, I mean, even Ricardo looked decent in in a lot of qualifying sessions, and so I just don't know if that was how the track evolved. Maybe their their setup started out really well. Maybe other teams just progressed better, right? Like you saw Red Bull struggling early on, and then they obviously surpassed later. But yeah, a bit a bit underwhelming on a track that was supposed to be more to their liking. Because as you look towards Monza, I, I don't think McLaren's going to be beating Alpine there. So. Um, the picture is looking increasingly bleak, but yeah, I mean, both drivers starting and finishing in the same spot, uh, Norris qualify in P seven and Ricardo in P 17. Um, I mean, I guess the question at this point is can, can McLaren since Piastri is, is part of their, like as a reserve driver on loan from Alpine, can they just put Piastri in, in Ricardo's seat now? Because if this was Red Bull, Ricardo would have been gone if he's sitting in out in Q3 every race and finishing P17 while his teammates up in, you know, P7. Yeah. I mean, look, the best thing to happen to Danny Ricardo this week was to hear that Colton Hurdo might be leaving in the car so that the seat will open up for him to go over there next year. <laughs> um, honestly, really, though, like total joke. Like, I'm ready for the pain to stop. I need the pain to just stop. Like, it's just, it's, it's hard to watch. It's getting harder to watch every week. Um, he's just nowhere, dude. He's totally lost. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it sucks to say, but he's making McLaren increasingly not regret their decision, which, yeah. I mean, what well, else can you I mean, say? Except for the decision to hire him in the first place and now lose out to Ferrari and now Alpine in, in back-to-back years. So, uh, left, that's a lot of money left on the table in, in prize money. So there, yep. there's gotta be some regret regret there for sure. But I mean, I don't know what the terms are of the conditions under which one can use a reserve driver. I don't know if that's purely like injury and sickness uh, or what, but it feels like this is an act of God stripping Ricardo of, of his driving talent. And um, I mean, I'm sure they would love to put him in the seat now if, if they could, that would be my choice, but I'm sure Alpine is apt to prevent that from happening at, at uh, as much as possible. For sure. Um, last thing on, I, I just want to say on McLaren is we've gotten a few more quotes from Norris out the, throughout the course of the season. He just, as nice and friendly as he seems in some instances, he's kind of like low-key savage and totally unsympathetic towards Ricardo's situation. And it's just little quotes like, you know, saying things are like, yeah, a, a driver needs to be able to like adapt to the car. And yeah, it's tough to drive, but like I got the hang of it. So he just, um, it's these really like s- subtle or maybe not so subtle digs at Ricardo's, but any take on just like Norris as a, as a teammate or as a driver? He's talking like a guy that is getting older, who's got a long-term contract with his team, who's confident about his relative performance against other drivers. And um, 
yeah. So I, I actually kind of like it, like growing some teeth. Um, and he, he really doesn't have anything to lose. He knows he's a crown jewel of that team. And, um, yeah, I, I think that everybody expected him and Daniel Ricardo to be really close friends because of their per, their personalities and how Norris was assigned. But And I think they've been relatively friendly, but also I think Norris is learning that it's okay to be more transactional with certain relationships. And I actually think that's probably a good thing for him professionally. Um, so you so you have to do that sometimes. And, yeah. Well, and similar to how we saw Max like fighting all alone with two or two Mercedes season after season, I, I think he's probably getting tired of being a man on an island and seeing his team lose out in very winnable constructors championship standings. So um, I, I think that probably plays into it as well. All right, let's move on to the back half because there are some interesting things to touch on with Alfa Romeo. I mean, early season promise, and they've basically just disappeared. Boat Joe continues to sort of plot along and and stitch together some um, acceptable performances as a rookie. I mean, no crashes and, and DNFs from his part. So, I mean, props to him. But where where the hell is Botas? I mean, he has done poor in qualifying. He's basically getting no running in Q1s every other race. Um, and now another DNF. I mean, what what's the story with Alfa Romeo and, and Botas in particular? I honestly, part of me just thinks he wants to be an endurance athlete now. And uh, I just check his Instagram and he's, you know, during the summer break, he's like actually competing and placing in like a, like a triathlon with his girlfriend who's a pro cyclist. And so part of me is just like, yeah, this guy's got a lot of bad luck, but I'm just not sure how much he cares anymore. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, not the direction I think most people expected the relative driver performance of that team to go this part of the season. But uh, that's where we're at. So, um, yeah, Botas is just kind of – he's kind of – he's not offensive to me. Um, I don't really care if he's on the grid or not. I like following him on Instagram. I probably always will. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I certainly expected to see him in the top ten more than he currently is. Well, and it seems like he took, knowing that he wasn't going to be in a Mercedes seat, took a bit of a flyer on Alfa Romeo and and the Ferrari power coming out into the new the new era. And it started off really positive and he seemed highly engaged, but knowing he was sort of probably a bit on the way out, given the number of mechanical issues he's had at the start of weekends and, and him and Joe, right? Both getting DNFs frequently. It seems like every race, one or the other is is... DNFing late in a race due to mechanical failures. And so I think that probably just wore on him a little bit and he's, he's probably feeling a bit disengaged, um, as well. So yeah, and attention seems to be much more on, on things outside of the sport, which, you know, good for him. He's had, he's had a good run of it. So, um, let's turn. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Let's, let's turn to Haas then. Um, look late season push here from Mr. Schumacher getting into Q3, Qualifying eighth uh, looked like he was on pace for a great weekend, only to have it all undone with some slow pit stops, uh, effectively eliminating any chance he had for for points on the weekend. But what's your view on on Mick's sort of part two of of this season? I'm I, you know happy to see. Like obviously he knows he's racing for his life. I think there's a strong case to be made that if he doesn't get retained by uh, Haas, uh, he doesn't have a seat next year. Um, you know, I don't think, I think that especially with the Herda news coming up, it doesn't seem like really he's a, an option for Alpha Tower. So yeah, I think he increasingly knows he's racing for his life and he's 
got to throw down and getting into Q3 certainly ain't going to hurt the case. So um, I was happy to see it. Uh, a bit of bad luck in the race. Um, but yeah, I mean, qualifying performance is, you know, a pretty good rubric for, for driver performance. So yeah, I thought it was good to see. And then on that note as well, uh, AlphaTauri with Sonoda qualifying as well in Q3, ninth place. Unfortunately, with his uh, his quote-unquote DNF, um, uh, missing out on the points this weekend while Gasly qualified and finished 11th. So once again, Sonoda taking it to Gasly, which was really not expected after Gasly's phenomenal year last year. Um, are, do you think Red Bull are really at this point losing out on, on having Gasly move to, to Alpine? Uh, it, it's another relative driver performance that I, I wasn't expecting to go the way that it's going. But um, yeah, I mean, maybe the play for, for AlphaTauri is to really to focus on Sonoda and retain him and continue to develop him. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of things about him that have been unlikable and uh, he had a bit of a slow start, but he seems to, of course, corrected a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah, and he's putting Pierre in his place at the moment. So uh, yeah, I don't like him really at all, to be honest with you. Uh, I wish he would get thrown off the grid. I've kind of had this theory that he would basically be a victim of the diminished relationship between Honda and Red Bull, because uh, that's the only reason he's there. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be the case. So, um, and, you know, maybe he's a guy who also feels like he's racing for his life. So um, he's throwing down. Good for him. Definitely racing for his life. I think definitely the the greatest benefactor of the, the Gasly move to Alpine and providing some stability to the team. But yeah, Sonoda is an interesting case where it seems like his biggest barrier, a huge amount of upside and his biggest barriers are like psychological and behavioral. And it seems like, you know, that takes a long time to, to change, but it's been a focus for that team this year with the sports psychologist. And I, I think, you know, if he can get there, I think he continues to have a good presence on the grid. So I, I'm not as apt to see him, moved off and it certainly doesn't look like that's going to be the case this year. Um, and then lastly, let's bring it home with Aston Martin. So, uh, stroll, similar story as, uh, Schumacher and Sonoda making it into Q3 fourth time this season. The man has qualified in 10th and unfortunately no running in Q3 for him. So, so he finished at the back of that, which is really unfortunate for him. Would have loved to see sort of him be able to break that, that 10th place, uh, streak. Um, and look, while Vettel was out in Q1 once again, and Stroll finishes in the points. So, um, question for both of us, were, were, were we a bit tough on Stroll and, and is he establishing himself and, and maybe with Alonzo coming in, could he become sort of the, the, the world champion killer here and, and putting a Vettel and potentially Alonzo in their places? Mm. To me, this is all car performance. Uh, I think the only reason that he, he didn't see Vettel up there is because he just made a bunch of mistakes. Uh, mm. He had an awful, awful weekend on every front. But, yeah. um, you know, he screwed up in qualifying and didn't, you know, didn't end up in the position he should have been in. Um, a, he was on a fast lap and then just dropped it. Uh, so I think he, you know, without that mistake, he probably ends up ahead of Stroll and then probably stays ahead of him during the race. So I, I no. To answer your question, no. I'm going to give Stroll no credit. I think this is all car performance. Aston's developing that car effectively towards the second half of the season, <laughs> and Vettel is just totally out the pasture, and so it's making Stroll look good. So yeah, that that that's it for me. All right, all right. No credit to be had for Stroll. I Zero. Should have expected nothing else. Um, all right, let's let's round this out now. Who do you have uh, in summary for your per- personal podium this week? 
Uh, I'm, I, you're going to roll your eyes, but I, I just I think Lewis deserves credit here for having a great weekend. There's nothing he could have done to influence the outcome differently. They're, they're, they're building you know, better and better performance, and he had a legitimate chance to win that race. So uh, I go Lewis. I, I also am going to also go George for calling his own number. Uh, I, every time a driver is able to do that with limited information in the, in the car and, 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 be, and be right about it, I think is, is exceptional. Uh, so I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then, and then third is obviously a shout out to Hannah since we already had one, I'll give her another Red Bull race strategy is just becoming kind of a sure thing every week. Uh, almost to the point where you really almost don't even notice it because they're so good. Um, but yeah, that's me. How about you? Well, it's interesting. I mean, talking about a driver who's able to trust their team and their race strategy, Max, after the fact saying, yeah, like I, I wasn't initially a fan of the, the hards, but you know, trusted the team that they knew what was right, went to the hards and, and had performance there. So it's just, he's somebody who's able to, um, rely on the team to make the decisions and he can focus on everything else, which I'm sure makes his life that much easier. Uh, so yeah, props to them. And then the other one for me is, uh, since you're not going to give him any credit, uh, I had to give it to, to Alpine just overall <laughs> making the most out of a weekend that shouldn't have been theirs, widening their gap, yeah. both drivers gaining lots of positions, Alonzo amazing race, their strategy, their pitting seem to be very sound as well. So another team not making any obvious mistakes and, and really high performing as long as the, the, the engine holds out. So, uh, good weekend for them. And then how about on your DNF side? God, I haven't even thought about this yet. I don't know. Latifi, where was he? Did he race this weekend? I, yeah. Latifi. <laughs> uh, he, he was only a couple seconds behind Ricardo. So you might want to yeah, throw well, him on I, that list as well. And then maybe Vettel for ignoring blue flags. That was a really bad look. I thought, he was going to cause Hamilton to get overtaken. And at that moment, I thought my brother was going to break my iPad. So yeah, maybe I'll go with the medal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, he did skew the results. I mean, he had a good case to be made of, you know, that kind of happens anytime every driver has to deal with that, but it did seem a bit, a bit prolonged, uh, given broader track conditions. Um, and then I'll go back to, to Alfa Romeo. I mean, similar to Latifi, just totally non-existent throughout the race weekend and seemingly the um, most regressed team on the grid relative to to where they started. All right, quick well, I think that bring- Yeah, please. I was going to say quick comments about Monza, and then we want to we want to head out. Yeah, absolutely. Brother, so I got my Monza. I mean, itching to go get some sushi with me in uh, in Brussels. So I got I got to get going. Yeah, you got to get out there. What's um what say you on your look ahead for uh for Monza, and then what's the plan for the weekend? Since I mean, we probably won't be communicating anything until the the moment we have to be recording. So uh, I figured I'd get the lay of the land now. Well, we're uh we're we're gonna be in Bordeaux early part of next or next couple of days. And then we're headed to Lake Como, going to enjoy some sunshine. And then, yeah, man, the train ride from Como to Monza to the track is only an hour directly nice. from the eastern side of the lake. It's super easy. Um, so, yeah, we're going to head down there early morning, uh, ferry across Lake Como to the town where the train station is, and then head down to the track. And, yeah, we just got general admission. So we're just going to walk around. I think the Monza's, you know, spread out. So put some comfy shoes on. And But there's plenty of good spots without a grandstand ticket, I think, to see plenty of of action and you know mons in particular right like basically everywhere you go on the track you're going to see a car fly past you in eighth gear because the whole circuit is basically flat out um so yeah we're man we're really looking forward to it um and then for me look i think like race performance wise this is going to be it's hard to not see how red bulls just going to run away with this they have the most efficient car at high speeds by far um 
I, I don't imagine it being a good weekend for Mercedes, um, you know, all things considered. And I think, you know, again, death taxes and Ferrari, I think that Ferrari will find a way to fumble this in front of their home fans. And I, I, I don't think they're going to put a car on the podium, if I'm honest. Um, and it's going to make me really happy. And then we're going to have two, uh, two guests, uh, Dr. Randy and the Trash Man are going to be joining us next week. More about them later, but... Uh, I'm absolutely certain that the podcast will be completely off the rails. Uh, and three of us will probably be drunk and sunburned. So, Well, we finally hit a good rhythm here. We, it's about time we totally disrupt the, the status quo. So looking forward to the special guests. And, and I would agree with you. I wouldn't be shocked if it, uh, we see a, a DNF for, for mechanical failures from Ferrari. And I'm putting, I'm putting Alonzo on the podium uh, next weekend. I, I like that. I like that call. Uh, I I could definitely see it. Yeah, maybe a little bit of, I mean, kind of McLaren-esque from last year. Somehow Alonzo gets track position. People typically think that Monza is a great track for overtaking because it has so many straightaways. But everyone runs such a low downforce package that the drag reduction effect is like basically zero from DRS. Yeah. And so, uh, you know... It, it, Sometimes track position can matter more at Monza than you might think. So I, I, I don't hate that. I think if he gets position, he may be able to hold on to it. Well, it should be a good one. I'm excited to hear you'll uh, you'll be live at the race and, and look forward to yeah, hearing all about the weekend, man. So so have a great time this week and, and next weekend in Monza. Appreciate it, dude. All right, brother. I'll see you then. All right. See you.